Hello, my dear friends, and welcome to The Natural High, which is, of course, a podcast dedicated to the pursuit of happiness in all its glorious forms. As usual, you find me out in the park with my little Yorkshire terrorist, Riffraff. So excuse us for any ambient noise that you might hear during this intro. This week, I speak to public speaker, life coach, leadership and motivational guru, ex-Marine and mother of three, Laura Masala. We talk about overcoming adversity and facing the fear in order to optimize your life in every way, the pros and cons of life in the Marines and the lessons she's learned from her time in the military. We also talk about her current career as a master motivator. She's another amazing human. She speaks with great honesty and she's just got an attitude and a way of addressing life which seems so healthy and particularly so considering what a difficult upbringing she obviously had. You can find out more and reach out to Laura by going to her Facebook page. That's facebook.com forward slash Laura Masala Official. L-A-U-R-A-M-A-R-S-A-L-A Official. I'm sure you're going to want to reach out to her and find out more after listening to what she has to say. It's a fascinating conversation. As usual, I'm going to cut the waffle and let her do the speaking from now on. I hope you enjoy the show. If you do enjoy what you're listening to, then please leave a review on whichever platform you're listening. And you can join us on Twitter at Natural High Club. Enjoy the show, my friends. (sighs) The Natural High. Awesome. Where um, where are you? Uh, Like, I'm in New York. Is that what you mean? You live... Yeah. yeah, you live in New York. Okay, cool. Because when our mutual friend Natasha gave me your details, I was very keen to find out more because you seem to be having a very full, colourful and impressive life. Oh, thank you. Yes, I, I love to travel. Um, so, especially like during COVID, I was mm. like, forget this stuff. I left New York, the kids and I, we went to Georgia, Florida, Arizona, Nevada. Like the whole world, except for New York was open basically. Well, not the whole world, but the whole country. Most of everything was open. So restaurants, movie theaters, kids clubs, play areas, gyms, like everything was open. And New York was really making it seem like the, you know, everything just shut down. And it's funny because at the time I was homeschooling. So my kids relied heavily on going to the YMCA and things like that for their social life. So when New York locked down, I was like, well, we're out of here for a while, so. Yeah, it got really crazy in New York, didn't it? Yeah. The thing about COVID was at the time, I can easily remember back to that moment and how I felt. And, you know, when we first locked down, I think it was in March 2020 or something like that, we none of us knew how bad it was going to get. It really almost felt like end of days. And (laughs) so you just didn't know how bad things were going to get. And I remember New York really seemed to be at the sort of tip of the spear in terms of everybody was dying and it was just so crazy, wasn't it? Yeah, it was insane. I love how you say it felt like the end of days because I remember the conversation I had with my son because he started hearing some things about it. And I was like, listen, bud, I was like, if the world's ending, let's go live, right? Like (laughs) when when it's the end of the world, it's not the time to sit in your house and wait for anything to happen. So if the world's ending, we might as well go out with a bang anyway. Like let's have fun doing it. So. Wow, I love it. I love your attitude. Yeah. Um, I'm going to come on to all the homeschooling. I want to talk about the Marines and I want to talk about how that's shaped your current life and all the stuff that you're up to now. But first of all, I always like to go back to the beginning and find out 
a little bit about where you come from originally, what your childhood and your youth was like. Was it an, an enjoyable time, your youth? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, cool. So how I talk about- I mean, about... Talk, 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 sorry, talk about as much as you're comfortable to talk yeah, about. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like being an open book because I've seen the, benef the benefits of that. The more I share about where I've come from, the more people can relate to the message of it doesn't matter what you've gone through and where you've been or even who you've been in the past. Uh, it just depends on what you're going to do in the present moment with all of that. So I like so to, true. Yeah. So I like to share a lot. <laughs> That's um, awesome. Yeah. And the way it's cool because people ask me all the time, how can I speak about certain people from my childhood and my past in such a positive way and have healthy, good relationships with certain people. And it, I had a very chaotic, abusive upbringing and the environment I was in was very unstable. And so that sent me down a path of a lot of issues. And when I was in my early twenties though, I heard somebody talking about you can go back into your childhood, like, you know, imagining that and you can just take all the good stuff and be grateful for that and leave all the negative things. And so that's how I'm able to speak about it in an empowering way. And I'm very thankful and grateful for all of my life experiences because it taught me either what to do or what not to do. And I just, I take my experiences and I, I just speak about it in a way that moving forward in my decisions, it empowers me. It's not like a victim mentality. So uh, when I was little, I realized that I didn't hate myself because I was a bad person. I hated myself because I was taught to and that the people around me hated themselves. And as you know, like when something is going on internally, we project that onto other people. And so when that clicked for me, that's when things started to change. And I realized, okay, if I want my life to look differently than what I'm in right now, I have to be different. I have to do different. And that starts with thinking differently, acting differently. And I really just paid attention to who is it that I want to be? What do I want my life to look like? And what does someone living that life, what do they do? What are they like? And so that was a, a journey of just shifting my like my upbringing what that was like into creating a life that i designed that's so, so interesting because I, so many people i mean i don't know exactly the details of, of what happened with you in your childhood and it sounds like you had a really rocky upbringing but i do a lot of people i speak to it tends to be a common theme that the adversity almost in some ways helped to shape their life in a positive way because they realized what they didn't want out of life and it helped them it helped sort of hone their ideas about what they which ways they did want to go it's such a choice though there's so many i love that you say that because that's that's like music to my ears but the majority of people i talk to uh use it as an excuse so it's, I like that you you have different. <laughs> but look, I mean, I've 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 never had any major adversity to overcome in my life, so it's easy for me to sit here and say that. And some people have such trauma in their childhood or their young life that it's just impossible to overcome. And you know, I accept that as well. Um, but maybe you don't because you've come through the other end. But the other thing is about it is maybe it's 
I mean, you seem like someone who's quite fearless as well. So maybe it, it gave you that sort of fearlessness because you saw the worst that the world had to offer. And you're like, well, you know, you've thrown your worst at me. And uh, so use it as a sort of way of, you know, uh, uh, becoming more strong in yourself. This, this conversation is getting so juicy, Oliver. Like, I <laughs> I love everything that you're saying. I love that you said that I seem fearless because it brings me back to a conversation. I have a twin sister and oh. she came this, I was in the Marine Corps. I was graduating from infantry training and she came to see me graduate. And she was like, oh my gosh, Laura, you're so fearless. And I told her, I said, well, it's not about being fearless because then where's bravery and what's courage? Where is that coming from? And so fearless people, they don't have anything to face. They don't have anything to overcome. But I think people who are brave and courageous, meaning they don't buy into that fear that they they do what they what's necessary. They do things that other people aren't willing to do because it's the right thing to do for them. And it's so such it's an important not, distinction. That's yeah, such an important it's not distinction. about being fearless. There's tons of times I was afraid, mm. but I didn't, I didn't engage in that story because there was something so much more meaningful in front of me that needed to get done. And the, the way I needed to show up was much different than being in that space of fear. So it's really actually not about not having fear, but deciding what am I going to do with this? And moving forward in any decision, it's like you can acknowledge the fear, but what am I going to buy into? And what am I going to pay attention to? I can sit and have a conversation with fear all day, but that's distracting me from the mission that I need to accomplish. Wow, what a sound bite. That's wonderful. So was it this um, rocky, turbulent upbringing that, that sort of sent you towards the direction of the military and the Marines? I mean, how did you first get interested in that? Ah, so how I first got interested in it, I was actually in criminal justice. And at the time, I was interested in possibly becoming a lawyer. I wanted to go to law school. Like, I was fascinated with it. And in the criminal justice class one day, though, they had the military come in. I don't remember if it was the Army or National Guard, but they came in with their combat boots and their utility uniforms and they drilled us. And like I was already like on the track team. I was a super athlete. Like I was really into running and things like that. And so the physical aspect, I came in, I was like, whoa, that was exciting. Like that was so much fun. And so I told my, my guidance counselor, I was like, oh my gosh, I want to talk to your recruiter. And he's like, what? He's like, that's the dumbest thing ever. You're supposed <laughs> to go to law school. Like that's stupid. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, I really want to talk to your recruiter. So he's like, okay, I'll, I'll call a recruiter and have somebody come to the school and talk to you. This is so funny, Oliver. Oh my gosh. So Remember, I was interested because they came in in their boots and youths and they like drilled us and PT'd us and everything. So I go to the main office to meet this recruiter, like, I don't know, a week or two later. And here's this guy dressed in these really fancy blue uniform and looks all proper. And I'm, I'm like, who is this guy? He looks so ridiculous, all dressed up, prim and proper. I'm like, you know, I want to, I want to, where's the guy that came in and drilled me? And um, I'm talking with him and I'm like, hold on, before you tell me 
you know, what this is all about. Let me let you know where I want to be in five years. And you can tell me if this Marine Corps thing is for me. Right. So I tell him about myself and where I see myself in five years. And he's like, wow. He's like, the Marine Corps is for you a hundred percent. He's like, it's the hardest. It's the best of the best. And when I heard that, I was like, wait a minute, if that's the best of the best. So what am I saying about myself and my belief in myself? If I choose anything else now, and I wanted the challenge because I was already into personal development at 17. I was already wanting to be the best person I could be. I was already pursuing excellence. And I was like, okay, this is amazing. Like this is the hardest, longest training. Sign me up. I'm in. And then I learned all about it and I was hooked. And then I was just like, this is what I'm going to do. That's amazing. There's a stereotype about, you know, joining the army that, you know, you go into the army because you're a little bit lost and you don't know what you're going to do with your life. But you are completely the opposite right off the bat. <laughs> yeah. That's so crazy. And how long were you in the Marines for? I had an eight year contract. I served four active and then four in the um, reserves, in active reserves. Would that be in action, like tours of duty and stuff? For so active duty is is. Um, so the reserves is where you go for like weekend training, summer gotcha. training, and then mm-hmm. the rest of the time you basically live life as a civilian. You can go to school, have a regular job, active duty, um, especially in the Marine Corps, like your life is 100% there as you live on a base or you live on a house next to a base. Gotcha. Yeah. Big it's a full-time day. job. It's an immersion. Yes. And so did you do any, did you have to go to Afghanistan or Iraq or anything like that? I didn't. So I was actually stationed at Cherry Point. And when I first heard about Cherry Point, I was like, where is that? Because all the Marine Corps bases start with camp. And they laughed and they're like, oh, wait till you get there. And it's a Marine Corps air station. And that base deploys the entire East Coast of the Marine Corps. So we were part of like a skeleton crew. And when I went in, Oliver, it was 2009. We were deploying thousands and thousands of people. I mean, it was crazy. So it, it was like days, nights, weekends, holidays, sometimes we'd show up and not even know when we were going home. Like it was, it was crazy. So I would get put on a Manny dock and then I get taken off. And so I literally did that almost the entire time I was there, just cycling people in and out. Wow. Um, what are the, what were the worst and the best bits of being in the military? Like I, I some of it really appeals to me. Like I'm really like um, personal fitness and training and stuff like that. So I imagine I mean, are the, the drills and the training stuff, is it like as brutal as, you know, films and TV might suggest? Because <laughs> that's so, what I imagine is absolutely pushing you beyond the extreme. I love this question. So when I got to boot camp, boot camp is three months long. I definitely thought it was going to be more challenging. I think I was, wow. I think I was just so mentally prepared and just hungry for a push that I found myself bored a lot and I just knew too much. There was no element of surprise. I knew I I had studied it so well that I knew, okay, after the gas chamber, we're jumping after this, we're doing that. And like the element of surprise was gone. And it was funny because I'd see people around me, like, be like, Oh my God, we're doing the gas chamber today. Like, it was like really funny. Um, there was a lot of like, just rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, and repeat. And it serves its purpose, of course. But when I got to combat training, that's where I was like, yes, this is what I wanted. I had like an out-of-body experience because I got pushed so physically far. And I really had to dig deeper and, and pull something else out. And that's the challenge that I was looking for. So 
the training aspects, you know, boot camp was a lot easier than I thought I was going to be. Combat training was what I thought boot camp was going to be. And then when I got to the fleet, I think the most challenging thing with that, I really expected everybody to hold themselves to the standard of being a Marine and what that meant. And I realized that not everybody did that. Mm. And that, so I, that was the biggest challenge for me doing that. But, wow. But, but the, so there were times then where you literally pushed yourself as hard as you could possibly go. And the guy or the person was still asking you to do more. Oh yeah. And then you, and then you continue on. It's like there, you got two options. You, you either break and you're, you know, in my eyes, especially at that time, like total, you're a total failure. Like, how could you do that? Or you just, you just keep going. And I remember like, I, it was like, I was looking at my body. <laughs> like I was like completely detached from it. And I was, it was just incredible. Like I'll never forget that experience. Um, because for a lot of, lot of us, myself included, you know, our, most of our associations uh, with um, the army and the military just come from films and TV. Like I always remember an officer, a gentleman, I absolutely love that film, you know, Richard Gere saying, I got nowhere else to go and all this sort of stuff, you know, like a really fit guy already, but just being pushed beyond his limits and, and held back over the weekend while all his mates are having fun. But um, so what were the worst bits then of, of being in the Marines? I know that you're a very positive person. You'd like to concentrate on the good bits. But were there any bits that, that did, did disappoint you apart from, as you say, some people not holding themselves up to those those standards that you thought everybody would? Yeah, there. I mean, there's a lot that goes with that. There's I mean, I had this expectation that everybody was just like me. They join because they want to hold themselves to a higher standard and they do the right thing even when no one's watching. And it was I, it was like an eye opener. It was a really maturing experience that that's not, <laughs> that's not what I experienced, uh, especially back in 2009, this whole feminist movement wasn't a thing. So mm -hmm. it was still kind of like the boys club. Um, there was a lot of like physical assaults and, you know, sexual harassment, things like wow. that. And I just, I just remember, like, I was somebody that if I saw somebody doing the wrong thing, I mean, as a Marine, we're supposed to hold ourselves and each other accountable. And I just kept that standard and I just held that standard. And so a lot of people loved me for that. And a lot of people hated me for that. It just depended. You stood your ground, basically. You stood your ground. Absolutely. Because you know, as a Marine, you're responsible for everybody else around you. It's your family. It's your livelihood. Like if somebody's doing the wrong thing, I mean, you could get people killed. You could get people hurt. You could get people. I mean, there's a lot of things that can happen. And it's just being that leader and reminding somebody that, hey, you made this commitment and this is what's expected of you. And you need to rise to that because it affects everybody else around you. So I, just, I really took my role very seriously but i suppose as the flip side is you, you saw all of the the sort of you know some of the brutality and the worst bits that happened but also you probably made some friends for life as well i'm, I'm imagining that you formed some really great bonds when you were there yeah absolutely mm. yeah. did you do you wish that you had served in in iraq or afghanistan is that as like something that you what would you that have been an ambition that is such a juicy question i love it so <laughs> when when I first joined, I absolutely wanted to deploy 100%. While I was in, though, I actually became an objector of the war. And I saw things much differently. 
And so now I'm very grateful that I never deployed. And I mean, I know a lot of people that deployed and never, I mean, they just worked on their computers from Iraq and Afghanistan. And I know a lot of people that went over there and got some action, so to speak. And I just, I didn't believe in it anymore. I saw things much differently. And I saw more of the reality, like the big picture of things and just had a complete change of heart on how I, how I viewed it. So I'm very grateful that I wasn't put in any situation that maybe I would have regretted now at this point that I'm in my life. So it's just, it, it was a huge change for me and I grew a lot being in the Marine Corps and seeing things you know, when you get on the inside, you learn a lot of things that you have no idea, you know, on the outside. So were you ever in a situation where you were told to do something that you really felt wasn't ethical, for example? Yeah. And I didn't do it. <laughs> you didn't, you didn't do it. <laughs> and the, the disappointing thing is, is if you don't do it, you, there's usually somebody else who will. So, mm. but again, it was just, I'm going to hold myself to the standard that that I committed to and call it a day. Nice, that's uh, a really beautiful answer. Um, do you think that the in an ideal world there would be no need for the military at all? Or do you <laughs> think that do you think that military serves loads of different functions that I'm just not aware of, you know, like humanitarian stuff and other, you know, practical stuff and yeah, What's your overall perception of the military? Yeah, there. I mean, there's lots of different roles that the military serves, and I think it's very beneficial. Um, there, you know, it's like a double-edged sword. There's good and there's mm. bad. So mm. it's, it's a necessity, um, just not all of it is. Yeah, of course. And um, it sounds as if it was something that was really benef beneficial and advantageous to your life in terms of the way it shaped you. Oh, I loved it. Um, when I got out, um, I, for a youth program, I was a drill instructor for these kids in the city. And it, it was amazing because I got to push these kids and teach them confidence. Every month we would ask the kids, like, you know, how have you grown? What have you learned? And there were so many, especially I remember there was a lot of girls that would say they, they learned how to stand up to their bullies at school and they gained confidence. And I had have a lot of parents and grandparents come to me and say, wow, my kid is so much more disciplined, so much more respectful. And so I really loved being able to basically duplicate what I learned. I mean, they, the training and how they go about it is so effective. And I've done some of those tactics on my kids too. And it works right. amazing. And um, it's funny because if I walk in the room with a certain posture, my kids like snap, they're like paying attention. Wow. And focus to me. <laughs> <laughs> especially my oldest, especially my oldest, you can tell. Um, and it's funny because I showed them, the kids were like, oh my gosh, like, Miss Marcella, you're so intense. And I'm like, oh, you think I'm bad? And I brought in a DVD of like the male drill instructors from when I was in boot camp. And I'm like, you think I'm bad? Watch this. And the kids were like, that's you. And I was like, <laughs> no way. They're like, yeah, that's you. You're that intense. And I was like, oh, sorry. <laughs> Thanks. That is absolutely brilliant. So I've, I'm useless. I've, I've got no sort of combat experience or anything like that. I've never been in a fight in my life. I've been hit a few times, but I've never <laughs> been in the actual fights. Um, but I wonder, like, is there any... I'm, I'm putting you on the spot here, but, for example, I've got a young daughter, and eventually I want to teach her some self-defence. I don't want her to be an aggressive or violent person anyway, but I think 
definitely give her some self-defense just to be able to protect herself if the uh, the unfortunate occasion ever arose where she'd have to do so is there any is there anything that comes to mind like a great tip that you could give me for sort of like self-defense if somebody comes at me what should i do i mean honestly i think martial arts is i think everybody should take it yeah i think it's great for kids it's good for their confidence their discipline their self-control you know, their, their mind and their body connection. I also think it's really good for teaching kids how to respect their body and other people's bodies too, because it's exactly what you said. It's not about being violent and aggressive, but it's about self-defense and uh, something that's very different from martial arts in the Marine Corps, but civilian martial arts is you only do as much damage as necessary to protect yourself. It's not about, you know, killing people. <laughs> yeah of course so so i i suggest martial arts i think it's fantastic for adults yeah yeah Uh, yeah, as you say it probably just is such good physical exercise it keeps you lithe and supple apart from anything else and strengthens your core Mm -hmm. um i yeah i definitely want to get into that but there's no like one technique that you could give you could tell me now that i might be able to you know like fend somebody off if they they did come at me. <laughs> It'd be pretty much impossible. Wait, to do you know how to punch? Can you throw a punch? <laughs> no, I can't. So basically, the, as I said, I've been hit three times. And I think the second time I was hit, I tried to hit the person back. So I had a load of drinks and I was really angry because they just hit me for no reason. And I tried to, to punch them back, but I just sort of missed three times and then just gave up. <laughs> wow. I, Oliver, you need, I, wow. <laughs> I've never been in a fight in my whole life. That's okay. That's okay. Take some martial arts classes, learn how to defend yourself i'm worried for you like you know my, my i think that my mouth is my sword so i can ge- i generally feel that i can sort of talk people down with diplomacy and charm really blowing smoke up their ass <laughs> is that what you're doing now <laughs> no way <laughs> no i think that's great that's good stay uh, stay, out of, stay out of like physically engaging somebody if you don't have to yeah totally but um so so you've come out of the of the of the military and now you've got this whole other incredible career but so i was listening to an interview with you the other day uh, another interview that you did and you were talking about um being a single mother and i think you've got three kids is that right yes and you homeschooled them i did yes uh, as so basically i'm a stay-home dad at the moment my wife works and i look after my one child and i've got amazing resources she's an amazing mother she gives so much time and effort so for you to do that and then homeschool for me that's it's unfathomable i i find that so impressive thank you yeah i a lot of people ask me how i was able to do that and, and run a business right and and i was traveling too like before covid like i was speaking i was traveling and actually, that's why I originally wanted a homeschool is because when I was going different places to speak, I wanted to bring my kids with me. Like they were already going to like global leadership summits, business meetings. They've been to several of my events mm-hmm. and I saw the benefits of them seeing what I was doing. And it, it it was amazing because it wasn't necessarily what I was doing, but it was their reaction to seeing other people's reaction to what I was doing and mm-hmm. how it was helping them and serving them. And I'm like, I really want my kids to be a part of this as much as possible. Um, so I actually started homeschooling before COVID. So I was, I feel very grateful that I missed that whole, cause I'm like, what, what are parents doing? Like, I can't even imagine like being forced to have to figure that out versus, you know, I was already, I was already homeschooling. So I feel very grateful for that, but 
I really took a lot of the skills I learned from the Marine Corps when it comes to time management. And I mean, there were so many times where you, we had to get impossible tasks done in impossible timeframes. And it's like, how do you, how do you juggle all of that effectively? Mm. So I'm like, I don't want my life to look like a hot mess. So I just took a lot of those skills and I put it over my life and I incorporated, I think the biggest thing for me was I incorporated my children with a lot of what I was doing. So if I had to work out, guess what? The kids got out and they worked out with me and we'd be doing our own little obstacle course, like in the living room together, you know, it's just structuring time management and getting them on board. I think when I started opening up more and explaining things to my children and saying, this is what I expect of you and creating an environment where they rise to that occasion, all of those things came into play with, wow, this is, this is a lot easier than it would be if I didn't have any of these, you know, any of these techniques in place. Wow. But tell me that you at least got exasperated at times, right? I mean, you did. A hundred percent there. And <laughs> you know, when, when I have those moments or those days, I tell my kids, I'm like, Whoa, mommy needs a timeout or mommy needs a break or mommy needs a nap or a feeling run down. Like I let them know what's going on. You know, being a single mom, things changed from my kids living in this perfect little bubble where they thought everything was perfect and mommy doesn't have any emotions outside of happy. And it really changed, morphed into, hey, we're a team. And it's not, I love that we're talking about this because women are made to think by society that you got to do everything. And being a single parent, it, and I hear, parents, like two parent households talk all the time, how hard it is, right. With kids and stuff and then businesses and work and, and chores, all these things. And so I had that conversation with my kids of, Hey, it's not realistic. It's not a realistic expectation for me to work a nine to five and have a business and take care of three kids and clean the house and cook an amazing meal and all these things. So we're going to work together as a team. So my kids know how to do the laundry. They know how to do the dishes. Someone's sweeping, someone's vacuuming, someone like it's a team effort. And what's that, what that's done to our dynamic is like incredible. It's that I, I, I couldn't have even asked for how it is. It's like, wow. Like I, I just feel like such an incredible bond with my kids and it's it's amazing it's like if they if they see me doing something a lot of times without me even having to ask they'll pitch in and I've seen that it, it's made them more responsible it's made that it's made them more independent and they it's actually made them more empathetic like they look and they're just helpful they're helpful kids so <laughs> Wow, that's like, if they, I mean, that... like for example, like if they see me, like if I'm my, on my laptop late and they know it's dinner time, they're like, they'll go and they'll make me dinner and they'll bring it to oh. me. Like it, it's, a, it's just, it's incredible. You should do seminars about that side of, of your life alone, you know, as well as everything else. I mean, that's incredible. That is so impressive. And they obviously see your strength as a person as well. So they must, I'm sure they idolize you. I don't know, but I idolize them. I'm like obsessed with these kids. They're adorable. And I, and I would say also, um, because if a lot, if someone's listening to this, they're like, oh my gosh, well, how do you do that? Like, how, how do you, cause you gotta, you gotta pour into them and teach them things. And it's not, it's not easy. It's very hard. And the number one thing that I've been able to 
look at and see what's what's made it to where it's possible is capacity, like expanding my own capacity. And so my my emotional intelligence to be able to have conversations with children that understand it from an appropriate perspective and being being able to really thinking about like operating a team and just managing a team and making sure that because I have three children and you have a daughter, you know, that she has different needs and a different love language than your wife does. And so talking to your wife and talking to your daughter, not just being a doll and a child, but it's very different. And so it's like, what can, how can I talk to my son that's most effective for his language? And then my daughters and just making sure that I'm expanding my own capacity because if things aren't working on the outside, it's, like who's running this, who's, who's in charge, who's running this and what do I need to change and shift in order to have the capacity to make all of this run as well as possible. And I don't want it to sound like my life is like unicorns and rainbows. Like it is hard. Sometimes it is very challenging. I get sick kids. I get moody kids. All of the normal stuff happens. And it's just, how do I approach that in a way where it's more effective. It's more efficient. It's more pleasant. It's more just like a well-oiled machine. That, that is really inspiring to me. That's so inspiring to, to see your strength and the way that you've made the most and just optimized your life with them so well. And, and the result is obviously so great because they're these really helpful young people. I think they're adorable too. <laughs> it so helps they're cute. <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. Our kids are so cute. But, and, and also as my, my child's like 16, 17 months old now, she's starting to do so much more stuff and she just cracks me up. Like I literally crack up with laughter every day. at something that she does and she makes me cry with joy and she makes me cry with flustered exasperation. You know, it's just all the emotions every day, the whole sphere or spectrum of emotions. Totally normal. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I think your LinkedIn profile. So, so again, you've shifted after the Marines into a completely different career from all the stuff you've learned. And I think, it says you're a master leadership teacher and visionary who's dedicated to heart-centered service. And then I think I looked on your website as well and it said you've got a background in, in the elite military branch and also vice president public relations experience with Toastmasters International. Um, so you bring a unique perspective and rare insight to your event or organization, empowering you to unleash the untapped potential of your team or audience. Do you work with Give, give me an example, like a, a case study of something interesting or memorable that you've done so I can put flesh on the bones of all that. Oh, yeah. Um, there was this couple that came to me. They had eight kids. They were Amish and they, they had left their Amish community. They had a business for like 20 years and it just was never doing well. And they came to me and they're like, we're we're at the end of our rope like this. We have nothing left to give. And I worked with them for seven months and they had a 300% profit increase in their business. And it was, it, it's interesting because I didn't even touch their business until the last three months of that, because I, I saw the inner work that needed to be done. I'm really into, it's an inside out job. And so a lot of energy work, a lot of mindset work, a lot of shifting um, perspectives and empowerment. Like I would say, how would I describe myself? I'm an empowerment speaker coach. That's how I would describe it because it's, you have the desire that you want already and you're just somehow in your own way. And 
the only thing that's stopping you from achieving literally everything that you want is yourself. Nothing else has the power unless you've given it to them. So um, I would say that's my most memorable story I could share because I was really blown away with what they were able to do. And they really inspired me. And it's, it's great to work with people that inspire you. And I'm like this mother, she had eight kids. She had eight kids. She had eight kids. She homeschooled. I mean, it's incredible. Like to be able to work with somebody like that um, is amazing. Yeah, it must be really gratifying. So um, but do, you, do you work with individuals as well or is it genu generally with groups or families? So I used to work with individuals a lot, but I'm thinking of time management and I had moved away from that. So I, now I only do groups. Mm. I suppose that's great because you see bigger gains at the end as well, rather than just, you know, the sort of work on one person. It's probably even more gratifying working with big, larger numbers. Yes, because I saw the benefits of if there's a group of people, it it actually and, and I get I get into coaching one person if they have a question and it helps everybody else. And it's just like this ripple effect. That's like, wow. And they're getting insights from each other and they're learning from each other. And it's just, it's a, I've, it's just a better container. It's amazing. It's interesting that you say all of the ingredients for success are within already. I th think that's a really interesting point because I, I think that the interview that I heard with you, you, um, you were also asked, did you have, uh, did you get all of these skills, all of these talents in terms of, you know, your, the methodical way that you do, you deal with your life, the healthy outlook? Did you get all that? Did you learn all that in the Marines? And you said, no, I had that already. So I'm, but I, I, I was sort of thinking some of the people you work with must feel demotivated and apathetic and failing to get to, you know, to raise that bar in their lives. So you can pull out the motivation. You can find the motivation in anybody you think. It's not, it's something that's within everybody. Yeah, I mean, I think that when when we were talking earlier about how some people have this trauma in their life, they use that adversity you said to make them better. And I, the reason why I said that was interesting is because there's a lot of people that actually use that for the thing that stops them. And so when I think about myself, I look at it like, I very easily could not have this fire in my spirit. And I can't tell you outside of God why I have it. So I'm very grateful. I just have this fire inside me. And a lot of people don't. A lot of people do. A lot of people don't. So how so, do you coach them then? How do you coach those people that don't have the fire? Well, I don't. Oh, that's that's the thing. There are people that will ask you, they'll say, hey, I want to make a change in my life. And they won't do the work to do it. There are so many people that will say, I want to change, but they don't have what it takes to actually do it. And I don't work with those people. They want to find shortcuts or whatever. And you're basically saying there aren't any shortcuts. You can give them a shortcut and they still won't do it. Those are the people that they just... It's funny because I just was speaking about this this morning about people think they know what they want and they try to go after what they want and they try to go after what they think they need and they're not even doing what they desire. See, the when you have a desire, it, it's just burning. You cannot stop yourself from just being all about it. And so it's really easy to see, I mean, to the trained 
person, it's really easy to see, does this person have a desire? Are they really going to take action? Are they going to do what's necessary? Or are they just, oh, you know, this is what I want. This is, this is, I, I know I need this and I'm willing to do anything it takes, but are they really? And just getting the sense for that. Like, are, are you really tapped into what you desire? And a lot of times people just aren't ready to do what it takes to do what's necessary. And I just don't make it my business. <laughs> so, that, so what you're saying then is you need to find your passion as well. You need to find something which truly gets you out of bed in the morning. Because if you haven't got that, then you're, you're, you're going to be fighting a losing battle. Yeah. And Oliver, it's funny that you bring that up because there's so many people that are like, what's my purpose? What's my passion? <clears throat> They're trying to identify that. But what happens mm. is they go down this path for a while and then they go down this path for a while. Mm. And I've made it really, really easy. I have a, a training that I do called What's Your Pill? And the P is for purpose. What's your purpose? And I make it so simple because people are like, oh my God, I'm going to show up. I'm going to listen to Laura and I'm going to know what my purpose is. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to magically discover what this purpose is. My whole life is going to be so much better. And then I'm like, guess what? Your purpose is you. And people go, oh crap. They're like, oh wow. I actually have to like take care of myself before anybody and anything else. And most people aren't willing to do that. And it's like, yes. You got to wake up every morning and that passion and that burning desire has got to be you. And if it's not, you're always going to find something to get in the way. And what about the people that come to you and say, I can't find my fire. I can't find my passion. Do you just say, see you later? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a conversation the door. with them. I have a conversation with them. Like we dig a little deeper. Like what's going on? Like there's times in my life where I don't feel that passion. I don't feel that fire. I was going to ask you that. Yeah. So, they're, they're, so I mean, you feel demotivated at times. Oliver, I'm a human being. Yeah. <laughs> I have all the ranges of emotions, all of it. Right. But it, it's really just identifying like, am I in a season right now? Because we're not always just going to be a one wavelength our whole entire life that takes the color out of everything. There's seasons. And when you respect the seasons, when you respect the purpose that everything serves, like I wouldn't want to go through life like never knowing what it feels like to not have motivation. Cause then how can I help you do something when you don't feel motivated or inspired? How could I? So I'm learning and I'm growing through all of these different experiences. So just like with the fearless thing, it's not about not having fear. It's about doing something in the face of fear. It's about having bravery. It's about having courage. And that's the same thing. If I'm not feeling motivated, if I'm not feeling that fire and that passion, am I going to hold myself to the standard I committed to? Am I still going to do the right thing, even when it doesn't feel good? Brilliant. What's the most important routine in your life? You've spoken loads about, you know, routines with your kids, which have been very, really successful and just genuinely scheduling things and being quite regimented. Is there one specific routine which you just always have to do because you know that it'll keep you in a positive headspace? Well, that's difficult because I feel I have a morning routine and I have an evening routine. And so it's all about routine then, basically. There's loads of routine going on. <laughs> There's loads of routine. Yeah, no, I think it's really important. I really I, think so. I feel in your life. something even more powerful than my morning routine would probably be my evening routine. And it's because we marinate while we sleep. So if I'm in the right state before I fall asleep, I'm automatically going to be in the right state when I wake up. 
So it's super important how you end your day. It's like a sandwich, you know, you got, you want the bread on both sides. Right. So I, I change my routine all the time because I'm always looking at as I'm growing, as I'm changing, as my, and my life fluctuates. I mean, you have a child, you understand needs change, things come up and I need to be able to fluctuate. So my flexibility plays a big part on that. So what do I need right now? What's going to be the most effective? What's going to get me, what's the minimal amount of effort I need to put in to get the biggest result? Because we don't have five hours in the morning to just, you know, meditate and visualize and all these things. Right. So we got to, we got to be really efficient with our time. So I think the most important thing is, is um, what I do in the evening before I go to bed. So do you mind explaining what you do in the evenings? Yeah, absolutely. So I love to have tea. I love to unwind actually like right around, right after dinner time, I get the whole house calmed down. Like I like to put soothing music on candles are lit lights are off. So the mental stimulators start just easing away and it's cuddle time or it's reading time, still something productive. I teach my kids different languages. So that, that quality time, I think it's really important for me to rebond with my children at the end of the day, making sure that they're telling me what's, what's happened, making sure that I'm sharing what happened with my day and then putting them to bed on time. And if I have access to a bathtub, which where I live right now, I don't have a bathtub. I used to take a bath every night, but I loved it. Right. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to replace it with something else. I do a lot of journaling. Um, sometimes I do reading. It's really just putting myself in a calm state. I'm very internalized. I do a lot of reflection and I love that quiet solitude time. Like I could, I could do that all the time. And people are like, what? I'm always talking to people. Exactly. <laughs> I'm always around people and giving. So I love that alone time. I love reflecting on myself and my day, having that quiet, peaceful time, writing. And then I love going to sleep to personal hypnotherapy sessions. Love that. Mm, does that help you sleep? Yes. I you, have you had problems with sleeping in the past or? Yes. Um, mm. Because of my childhood, um, until a, like about a year and a half ago, I had nightmares all the time, all the time. It was just like this, like it was terrible. So um, I actually hired some coaches to specifically help me with my childhood trauma um, because of the nightmares that I was having. So that helped a lot. And um, doing hypnotherapy, like I put my headphones on and I listened to a, a very customized, relaxing session and I fall asleep like a rock. Nice. Wow. Yeah, you must have. I mean, is there a specific you said there's a specific one you use? Maybe you could you could let me know what that is, because I I mean, oh, I find I generally sleep what I sort of have. Yeah, the, the hypnotherapy. Yeah. So I so I use a personal I have a personal hypnotherapist, so she makes customized sessions for me. Mm-hmm. So we have her name is Kim Gucci, by the way. She's amazing. Um, okay. Her her work is incredible. Um, so we'll have a session. We'll talk about what's going on, anything that I want to clear or work on in my subconscious mind and my super conscious mind. And she'll she'll make a recording. And uh, I, I have several because I've worked with her for a while now. Um, and I'll I'll pick what I feel I want to work on. Like there's one that she made me on Mother's Day last year, and it was go with the flow. Because sometimes as, as parents, we want to have control of everything. So she made me, call, made me one called go with the flow. And so anytime, you know, I feel maybe, because I have so many routines, right? 
I don't want to be rigid. Anytime I feel like I could use some more fluidity in my life, I play that one. Cool. And and you sleep really well and consistently these days. Do you ever wake up in the middle of the night and your, your brain, the cogs just start moving and you're just like, oh God, I'm not going to be able to get back to sleep. That's what happens with me sometimes. Like I'll, my brain will be so much more active than my body and I'll be up for like two hours just thinking about stuff. I always wow. go back to my breath and try to start meditating. But I was just going to say, breath work is really good for mm. doing that, like putting yourself um, in a different brainwave. Um, have you tried DMT breath work? No, I don't think so. So I'll send you a video later um, it's it's like a 30 minute and i love it because at the end of it you're you're just in this totally different state you're in a totally different brain wave you, you release dmt in your brain and then uh-huh. right at the end it goes into this meditative music and it, it's just so peaceful and calming and it should probably put you right back to sleep yeah it sounds pleasantly <laughs> psychedelic as well that alarm for the next day <laughs> <laughs> i'm assuming that i'm assuming that physical health is really important to your mental health as well yeah, absolutely. I'm very sensitive to what I eat. Um, so I, and also like I have to drink a lot of water. I have to stay super hydrated um, or I feel really sluggish. So I'm, I, I like just being conscious of all of that. So you've really just are such a role model and you just, you, you sort of generate, I mean, I just feel really happy talking to you. You just generate <laughs> happiness. You're so bubbly, oh, bubbly, you. but you're bubbly, but with lots of substance. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm going to ask you a completely at a tangent now. I've got a list of questions, which is I sometimes get to and I sometimes don't. I think I sent sent them to you. What do you think happens when we die? Oh, I don't know yet. I haven't. Been... <laughs> <laughs> Great answer. I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know yet. I haven't. I haven't gotten to that part yet. No, I read that question. And I was like, I was like, wow. I was like. I don't know yet, do you? <laughs> it's, no, no, it's not. But, you know, it's just, I think it's an interesting one to speculate about. Like, what I love that. And also, you know, why are we here? I think they're questions which we never ask each other, really, those questions. But they're such massive questions. But we, instead, we, you know, work out the sort of minutiae of our life, the little pedantic things. And we talk about those or maybe what happened on a TV show. But then they're some of the most important questions if you, you know, if you think about it. And, and we so rarely ask them. I mean, have you ever experienced joy? That's why we're here. Right. Okay. Great. You know, I tell my kids, I'm like, does the sun not rise for you? Do the birds not chirp for you? Does the grass not grow for you? Everything in existence existence is for us. It's beautiful. Oh, my God. That is such a beautiful answer. I remember asking this question to somebody uh, a good year or so ago, and they just said, you know, we can't answer that question. All we can do is uh, uh, enjoy every last second of the show. Yeah, it's good. Beautiful. Um, and and who inspires you? What? To, tell me about some some figures that that inspire you as a person. People that have given you strength and and direction and inspiration in your life. Uh, my kids inspire me. Uh, you know, I've seen them go through a lot and just life and growing and weird stages and things and and then how they still show up. It it inspires me, but say my biggest inspiration is God, because the biggest thing that I've learned, especially recently is unconditional love, like God's mercy and grace and love. And it's, I don't know if you've ever heard the song reckless love, but it's about God's love. Like there's literally nothing you can do and get turned away by God. And to embody that is like so inspiring. And I've met people that are like that, where they're just so forgiving and they're so 
loving and kind and caring. And that it's just, wow, it floors me. It's amazing. Isn't it? I think that's where we all want to be, but so few of us actually get there. I mean, so few of us can completely extinguish any sort of resentment in our life, for example, you know, like friction that you have with your family or something like that. Like, I, I, I don't want any of that, ideally, but emotions come up, don't they? And it's hard and they really challenge you at times, challenge your ideas of wanting to have this unconditional love. Yeah, our egos get in the way. Egos, absolutely. <laughs> Especially male egos. Well, I've got a big one too, so. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. How do people, what's the best way for people to reach out to you, get in touch with you, connect with you? Because I'm sure lots of people will want to after listening to what you've had yeah, to say. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm on Facebook. So Facebook Messenger is probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. I'm very casual. Um, I just like to have conversations with people. I'm a person, you're a person, let's talk. Absolutely brilliant. It's been such a pleasure speaking to you and I could do it for hours and hours longer, but I know that you're, it's later. So probably, is it nearly eight o'clock there now? It is. Yeah, it's just, just before eight. It's time for a glass of vino, isn't it? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> now remember, Oliver, I said I have to stay hydrated and wine. Of course. Dries me out. Yes, of course. Yeah, <laughs> we, we don't drink. We don't drink really, do we? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It has been such a pleasure for me to speak to you. I've, I'm, I'm on a real high now, which is great because the show's called The Natural High and you've put me on a high. I think I just need, I'd love to have a sort of you narrating for me all the way through my life because I can't imagine ever having a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Oliver. This has been wonderful. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. You too. Look after yourself. Thank you, you too. Bye. Bye. The Natural High. Follow us on Twitter at Natural High Club or go straight to the website, thenaturalhighclub.com. And remember to subscribe to the Natural High podcast through whichever platform you're listening to get every new pod straight to your phone.